Once again, we'll have our scripture reading this morning. It'll be taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And if you're visiting with us this morning, that passage can be found for your convenience in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 1048. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. This is an excerpt from Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica regarding conduct. We'll pick up in verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And again, if you're a guest, we welcome you. Uh, It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you also. And again, if you're a mother, happy Mother's Day. Uh, What a blessing it is by God's design of motherhood, and we're thankful for that. I think about the junior high science teacher who spent all of one class lecturing on the properties of a magnet and even demonstrated all the many things that magnets could pick up. And so the next day he thought he would give a review quiz and, and he wanted to make some of the questions real easy. So he, the first one was a soft toss and he said, I begin with the letter M. I have six letters in my name and I pick up things. And over half of the class wrote mothers instead of magnets. It is said that children generate an extra 18,000 hours of work for mothers over the first 18 years of the life of a child. No doubt mothers, good mothers, are a rich and a deep blessing that words could not fully describe that blessing. We could echo Abraham Lincoln as he said of his mother, all that I am and all that I can be, I owe to my dear angel mother. And so we love our mothers and we do want to honor and and to give the honor that is due to them. We also recognize today that it may not be an easy day for everyone. We recognize that, that it may be that the mother that we love dearly has passed It may be that we simply did not have the best mother in the world. It may be that we were a mother, but yet at the very same, this moment, we may feel like that we are a mother who is in over our head and we feel like that we're sinking. It may be that we had children or a child that rebelled and maybe one that we haven't spoken to in years. I don't say that to bring a dark cloud over this beautiful topic. I say it because it's life. And that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where real people come and they live their lives together, intertwined. And we bring our blessings together and we also bring our pain together. And we rejoice with each other and we also suffer with each other. And so today, 
We come together realizing for some, this is a wonderful day that brings a lot of joy. And also for others, it's a day that brings pain. But that's just it. It is from the topic of motherhood that Paul teaches us some powerful lessons about how we all can be built up receiving the benefits of others having mother-like characteristics within God's family. Yes, we are continuing the shepherding model this morning. We're, we're looking at the very teachings in the scripture where we learn that there are things that are expected and even required of us when we come together. And a part of that is that all of us be like mothers in some ways. Now, to really appreciate the text, I'd like for you to drop back with me and, and I'll just go ahead and tell you for the next few minutes, there's not a lot of illustrations. But if you can just stay tuned in to some things that we're going to review out of First Thessalonians, the first chapter, then when we come to the second chapter, I believe what Paul is telling us will have greater meaning and deeper roots for greater application in our own life. And so we just had capably read for us Paul saying, look, when I came in to preach the gospel to you, let me tell you some things I, I was not, Second Thessalonians 5 and 6. Then he says, let me tell you some things that I was. I, I carried these things out. But then you say, why is he even doing this? Well, there were those that were saying that he was a false apostle. And so he's simply trying to get them to not discard his teachings because they have tried to discard him. Well, what does this look like? Let's drop back, if you have your Bibles open, to, to uh, the, the first chapter here in 1 Thessalonians. In, in the first chapter, we have, uh, let me give you just a real quick history that goes back. The historical account is in Acts, the 17th chapter. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he comes into Thessalonica, and he begins to stand in the synagogues for at least three weeks in a row, because that's all the Jews would tolerate. And he began to preach the gospel that Jesus of Nazareth, that's the ones that the Jews crucified, that he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. Some of the Jews actually believed it there in Thessalonica, and many of the devout Greeks believed it, and several of the leading women in the town also believed. So now there's a good solid core group of followers after only three weeks they're saying we want to become Christians. We want to be children of God through Jesus Christ his son. But at the same time that that movement began to have strong momentum, there was also the Jews there that didn't buy into this and they didn't like being accused of crucifying the Messiah. And they thought that Jesus claiming to be the Messiah was blasphemy. And so if Paul's going to come into town and claim the same thing, he was guilty of blasphemy. Therefore, he deserves to be put to death just like Jesus deserved to be put to death. And so you can imagine it became a very volatile situation. The Jews began to reach out in a mob mentality. They stirred up the town in Thessalonica and they literally went into Jason, one of the new converts in Christianity in his household. And it says several of the other brethren and they drug them out into the streets. Now I want you to picture this with a mob and a mob mentality. Here are young babes in Christ. When you became a Christian, first few weeks, do you remember how probably people encouraged you? Can you imagine being a Christian only for a few weeks and now your town is dragging you through the streets, holding you up in front of the leaders of the city and accusing you, these are the ones that are turning the world upside down. 
In other words, these are the ones that they're making Mount Juliet a horrible place. We've got to put an end to them and their cause. Well, it's in that setting that the Christians in Thessalonica, because of their love for Paul, that night they said, we have to sneak you out of town. Under the cover of darkness, he fled 50 miles west and he went to Berea and there he began to preach the gospel and he was so impressed with the openness of the Bereans but also their willingness to go back after hearing the gospel and studying it on their own. It was upon being impressed with them that he says, these are people who are even more noble than those of Thessalonica. But you know what? The Jews in Thessalonica hated him so much when they heard that he was having success in Berea, they traveled 50 miles south. They stirred up the town of Berea and they drove him out of there too. And he had to go on to Athens. And so now with this as a backdrop, when Paul says things like, let's look in the first chapter, when he says things like in verse six, and you talking to the people of Thessalonica, and you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Pause there for a moment. Now we know what he means when he says, you received the word with much affliction. You were converted to Christ one day and it's just like a few days later, you're being drugged through the streets. And he says, I admire the fact that you've remained faithful. I appreciate the fact that you've received the joy. Isn't it interesting that the situations on this earth do not take away the joy of being a Christian? And if you say, that doesn't make sense to me, I urge you to study that from a spiritual connotation so that you can come to know that spiritual maturity in the Lord. There are so many things that can and will happen to us on this earth that should not affect our soul and our relationship with God, except if anything, to strengthen it. And so Paul is writing to say, I'm thankful that in the midst of the physical trials on this earth, your soul and your spiritual life still has great joy from the spirit. And notice what he says in seven. So you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You get that? Paul's saying, wow, your faith, and you were so young in the faith, but yet your faithfulness in the midst of the persecution, Thessalonica is just one city. Macedonia and Achaia are regions. And he says, your faithfulness has been so overwhelming to people that have been hearing about it in multiple cities and and two different regions around that when we go in and and we say, we want to teach you about Christianity, apparently people were saying, oh, you mean like the people at Thessalonica? We've heard about them. Wow. And these are people who had such harsh persecution when they were so young in the faith. But now keep in mind, there were others that came in right behind Paul that were really trying to undermine him and his teaching. And they were accusing him of being a false teacher for personal gain. And so Paul believes that he needs to address that so that there will not be a confusion in this great success that they had at the beginning will not be just a spark and then dies off, but that they will continue to live in this way. And so now there's a slight change to say, okay, 
We've talked about you, Thessalonica, and your conversion and your uh, pain and persecution. But now let's talk about me and how I'm going through persecution so that you can see what both of us are trying to do is we're simply trying to serve the Lord. So let's go now to the first chapter in verse 9. Notice he says, for they themselves declare uh, concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. See, so he says, you know, there's a lot of talk about why we came into you. But he says, I know what you guys did. You turned from God, uh, from the idols to serve the living and true God, which is an amazing study also within itself. But now let's go to the second chapter in verse 1. Notice again, he talks about his coming to them. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. See, the false teachers were trying to say it was worthless. There was nothing of great worth. He's just trying to take advantage of you. And he's saying, you know that's not true. Look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, we're going to comment on that. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much affliction. So he says, let's look at track record. If what I'm out to do is just make my life easier, he said, let's look at the track record. Do you remember when I came to you where I came from? Now, we've not yet mentioned this this morning, but some of you that, that know the scriptures a little bit, and if not, I urge you to go back and study this. Even this evening, you could just, afternoon, you could read a couple of chapters. Acts 17 is where we see him going in Thessalonica. Does Acts 16 ring a bell to any of you in your minds? You remember the Philippian jailer being converted? Do you remember how Paul came in contact with the Philippian jailer? When he was in Philippi, he was preaching the truth. And what did they do? They threw him into prison for preaching the truth. And it's through that earthquake that he has the opportunity to preach the gospel then to the Philippian jailer. And after he's converted, because of the persecution in Philippi, he leaves town. And where does he go? He goes to Thessalonica. Now, I want you to notice that verse we, we just read in verse 2. Notice he says, so we came from Philippi after being put in prison. And he said, what did we do? We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel. He says, now, do we really look like people that are out for just personal gain? We went in Philippi, we preached the gospel, they threw us in prison. We got out of prison, we marched right over to Thessalonica, and what did we do? Walked right into the synagogues, and for three solid weeks we stood in public and we preached the gospel. And what did they do to us? They tried to kill us. So what did we do? We escaped at nighttime and we went down to Berea. And what did we do when we got there? We stood out and we boldly preached the gospel. And what did we do? They came and persecuted us again and we had to slip out again. And this time Paul went alone. He says, I went to Athens. You see what Paul's saying? He says, where in all of that does it benefit me personally? Obviously. People could study Paul's life and see that the cause of Christ was more important to him than his own personal gain. Now, this is backdrop, but I want to start making an application. And as we go deeper, you're going to see how this applies. You're here this morning. You're here to worship God. You're here to study in a Bible class. But is it all personal gain that brings you here this morning. What I want you to see in this study this morning is that Paul will help us see that even when we come to the assemblies, we have responsibilities to offer to others. 
It is never right for us to look at our life, whether we're at home or in the community, and especially when the church assembles together, it is never right for us to have a mindset that says, what can I gain? And that's all we're concerned about. Definitely when we study the Word of God, we want to have a heart that says, what can I gain from the Word of God? But we also need to have a heart that says, what can I do to encourage the people that's around me? And so Paul is looking and saying, look what I was willing to give up. And so then he says, let's talk about why did I come in among you? What did I not do? And what did I do? And so that brings us to our text this morning. And by the way, before we go there, I want to show you the passage that you're going to study in your Bible class in just a few minutes. Look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter 24 and 25. We're just going to quickly comment this because you're going to study it in depth. But I want you to see how it applies in the midst of this lesson, even that we're studying today. We sometimes jump right to verse 25 and we say Hebrews 10 to 25. Is about not forsaking the assembly. Yes, it kind of is. But the reason I say kind of is if in our mind that's all that it's about, we have really missed the core teaching of Hebrews 24 and 25. What it is really about is telling us why we would not want to miss the assembly together. Because we have a responsibility back in 24. Let us consider one another. That literally means look for each other. He says, I want you to come together to look for each other. And then notice what we're supposed to do in order to stir up. That's provoke. You ever had a brother or sister that you provoke them to do something? It's usually wrong, isn't it? Now, this is where he says, I want you to come together and I want you to provoke each other. And he says, I want you to provoke each other what? To love. Love and to good works. When you leave here in, in, in an hour or so, when you leave here in your car, you will have either provoked someone to love each other and God more, and you will have provoked someone to be involved in the good work of Christianity and living that faith in your life, or you won't. It's one or the other. And this is said in the context that says, I'm telling you, where you can do that. Because I stopped short there. In other words, someone says, well, how are we going to stir up each other loving good works? He says, don't forsake the assembly. That's why you go together to worship God. That's why you go together to study the Word of God together in classes. Yes, you definitely, we have a great responsibility to worship God in spirit and truth. Not taking anything away from that. We have a great responsibility when we go into Bible class to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly divided the truth. We have a great responsibility to do those things. We have just as great of a responsibility to each other at the same time. God expects commands, demands that we stir each other up. That the way we interact with each other, the way we're involved in each other's life, that we truly cause people to leave here loving God and loving each other more. That we leave here saying, I want to go out and live the Christian life. I want to do good works in the name of God. Are we doing that? That is the responsibility that God gives us. And you're going to develop that a lot more in Bible class in just a little bit. But I want you to see how this ties to this lesson. Go back now to to 1 Thessalonians. And notice, so Paul is saying, when I came in and I lived among you, I did some things. And he doesn't use these, these phrases here. But in essence, what he's saying is, the things that I taught, now get this, but also the way I lived while I was teaching them stirred you up to love God. It stirred you up to good works of living for the Lord. Here's some things we can't do. Here's some things that Paul wouldn't do. Look at verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 5.
For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. In other words, he says, you know, and God knows I'm telling the truth. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Flattery words. You know, we sometimes kiddling or safe, flattery will get you everywhere. He's saying, I didn't say things that were not true just to try to get my way. A cloak of covetousness. A cloak covers you up. And so, in other words, inside, I've got this covetous desire that I want to get personal gain from you. And so the way I'm going to do that without you knowing is I'm going to use flattery words. So in other words, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to seek the favor of man. So that's the three things he mentions there. I, he says, I'm not seeking the favor of man. I'm seeking the favor of God. I'm not operating out of covetousness and a cloak in it. And that's why I'm saying flattering words. He says, I'm content with God. If God wants me thrown in jail, I'm content to be thrown in jail. But what I will not do is change that I want to please God and I'm going to speak truth and not flattering words. And so it's going to be a cloak of contentment, not a cloak of greed. Now, what if every one of us could come into every assembly every time saying, I just want God's will to be done and I want to do what I can do here to encourage others to love and and to be stirred up in good works. It's not about me. I'm not covetous. And and it's not about pleasing people. Now, that's interesting. I I want to encourage others, but it's not to please them. It's to please God. And so what I speak to them is going to be truth. So many lessons to learn from that. How could he illustrate it? In just a moment, we're going to read a text where he illustrates it by talking about mothers. I'd like for you to pause for just a moment and think about your mother, if you had a good mother. If not, just think about motherhood in general. When I think about my wife as a mother, I think about one of the things the kids, they joke with her about, Tracy has a way of raising one eyebrow that can just freeze the kids in action. It's kind of like that look of, all right, you're caught. I dare you to go on. You know, my my mother, she had a look. It was almost like her chin was pointing. Now, I know it really wasn't pointing, but it was that look like if you acted up in church, she could look across the auditorium and you just felt like she was just like pointing at you, you know, And, and you knew, oh boy. We have really, it was that look when guests were at the dinner table and nobody else knew what was going on except you caught mom's eyes and you had that look. You know, what is it about mothers? Well, the reason they can have such an impact on our lives is because they live among us. They love us so much. They interact with us for, especially a lot of time in our culture, for the first 18 to 20 years. They have so much impact upon our lives because they're the ones that are there and, and, and they're, they're kissing our boo-boos. And even when we get to be a teenager and we got a sick stomach virus, we really don't want anybody else around but, but mama. And, and when we're in Little League, she's the one that winces when we get hit by the ball and she's the one that cheers when we hit the ball. She's the one that, that's there for the big days and she She's also the one that's there for the little days. Think about how your mother is not only there for all the big and the small things, but it's love. It's genuine love. She doesn't look at you as a little infant and say, what can you do for me? If you can do something for me, I'll do something for you. 
But it's literally a maternal love that, that says, I want to look after you. I want to protect you. I want to encourage you. And so a lot of us could say our mother has been our biggest cheerleader in life. Our mother has displayed more love. Our mother has prayed for us more than anybody else. We can go on and on and on. And so now think about this. This passage that we're about to read here where Paul says, when I came among you, I want to prove to you I'm not a false apostle. And also, let's pause here and add this. How is it that that young church, those young Christians spiritually, were able to make such a huge impact? They had a man that not only brought them the truth, but he brought them the truth with a mother's love. And that's what will make a difference in any congregation. Where the truth is never sacrificed, preaching the truth, speaking the truth in love. When the truth is always taught, And people teach it and live it in love. And so here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 7. We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother. How gentle is a nursing mother? Who is it that always encourages you? Who is it that when you walk through the foyer, before or after class, you hope you run into them because they just have a way of being gentle like a nursing mother? Now, I just asked that question to hundreds of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and here's something you need to think about. Hundreds of people in here just thought of names. Did your name go through any of their minds? Listen, we're not just here so we can say, God, you get that? Check the roll, I'm here. God says, I'm not worried about if you're here, if you're not going to do what you're supposed to be doing. I want you to come here to show a gentle love toward others, to stir them up to love and to good works. But notice the second thing that he says. Notice this cherishing, this warmth. It's still in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 7. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. This word is only used a couple of times in the New Testament. It's a very interesting word. The word cherish here, he's saying, you know how a mother cherishes her child. That Greek goes back to at first what seems to be very strange. It goes back to incubator to warm. It goes back to the idea of poultry. In other words, we know what it is for for a a mother hen to incubate her her eggs and to protect them. I, I think about when Colton... He wasn't as high as a yardstick. And, and we, we went over, he was just toddling around, and we went over to a guy's barn, and I was helping him do some things. And he was in his little shorts and his shoes and his little shirt. And, and in the meantime, he had found a chicken that, that had just had babies hatch out. And, uh, and so he was intrigued with these little chicks. And, and he was always a real quiet little kid anyway. And he had, he had inched his way up to them, and we didn't realize that he had. I didn't even know they were there. And, and, uh, and so he sees a little chick. He's going to bend down and pick it up. Well, about that time, this hen is half his height. Oh, she comes unglued. She starts flapping and coming at him with both feet forward. She starts flogging his back, flogging his legs. He takes off running a circle around the barn. She's with him every step of the way, hitting him every step. He finally runs out and he jumps on the, on the step side of the pickup. And by that time, I've caught up with him and I get him up higher to get the hen off of him. What, what was she doing? She was just being warm. Oh, not to him. To her little ones. She was cherishing them. She was protecting them. 
Anybody that grows up on a farm knows that the most dangerous animal on the farm is the mother that has just had her young. Cows that never will fight you will fight their owner the days they have their young. Sows by far are the most dangerous on all the farm. Uh, they, their bite will take your life in a heartbeat and she will attack you when she has the young. Probably many of you have been to a, a Titans or a UT game or maybe hunting or fishing and your hands have been real cold. Have you ever had a friend slip you a hand warmer? And you're able to break it open and inside your pocket? How do you feel? How do you feel when you've gone from a cold environment to a warm environment? Listen, I know not every mother has, has accomplished this, but I want to tell you what God's plan is. God's plan is for mothers to bring warmth in relationships. God's plan is for mothers to bring warmth into families. Now please get this. God's plan is for you to be like a mother. And when you come together into assembly, you're supposed to be bringing warmth to people. You're supposed to be protective. You're supposed to love them enough that, that, that you want to see them do well. You want to be their cheerleader. You want to be encouraging to them. And you feel a type of ownership because this is my brother in Christ. This is my sister in Christ. And I am indebted to them because of my God. But notice the final thing he says, and we've got to start closing. Look here in, in verse 7. I'm sorry, in verse 8, about, uh, still about mothers. Notice he, the, the, the thought continues. He says, so affectionately longing for you. In the Greek, that's one word that just means strong desire. And so Paul says, I came to you like a mother that has strong desire toward what? And this is powerful. I wish we had a whole sermon just for this. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You and I will never be effective teaching other people the truth until we give them not just the truth, but we give them our life. We will never be effective giving people the truth until we give them our life. Paul says, when I came into Thessalonica, you know I imparted. I gave you the truth. But he says, you also know I gave you my life. Whatever I needed to sacrifice for your good, I gave it to you. Friends, this building would have to be built 8, 10, 15, 20 times larger if every one of us began giving our neighbors and everyone who visits us the truth along with our life. Now what a sacrifice it would be. I don't know what that would mean in our lives individually. I don't know what all we would have to give up. I don't know how much it would cost us in unselfishness. But I know this, Paul was a man that in his day changed the world. And I believe a thousand of us could change the community in a powerful way if we all were like mothers and we gave the truth along with a life that says, I'm willing to serve and do whatever. So what we learned today... The assembly isn't something we simply attend. The assembly is something we do. Number two, we ought to have mother-like characteristics to really value the people that are around us right now. This brings, number three, great insight to speaking the truth in love. This morning, 
No one here should be invisible. There should be many, many people that care about each person here. We can't individually know everybody. But if we came every service, came early and stayed late, to be willing to serve and to love and to encourage each other, what a difference that could make for the kingdom's sake. I don't say this to throw rocks or to just to step on toes. But through this study, I've been really convicted of just really how messed up some of our traditions have been in the church in modern decades. You know, the idea that all God wants me to do is slip in the back door and and if I'm real busy, I'll just take the Lord's Supper and slip out. And, And we did that because that makes God happy. I don't think you can find that kind of teaching anywhere in the Bible. God's just wanting to check a mark and say, took the Lord's Supper Sunday morning. You won't find that in the Bible. But what God is looking for is people that love Him so much that they come to worship Him. And they love His people so much that they come to serve them every time they're together. I've asked you for a good while now, for weeks, to be prayerful about our study and our application of the study. And I hope you'll join me in that if you haven't. And if you have been, I hope we'll all be fervent in that. There's a lot of souls in the balance within these walls and right outside these walls. And we're not going to reach them by our own wisdom. We're going to reach them by God's wisdom. I believe God is right every time. Let's be prayerful. And let's just commit to growing. We don't grow overnight, but we grow one step at a time. What is it that I need to do today to do a better job of loving the people that are around me, encouraging them, really trying to protect them? This morning, I hope you realize if you're not a child of God that you're among people that aren't perfect but are really trying. And we'd love to walk with you through this earth and toward heaven. And if there's anything we can do this morning to further study with you, uh, if you're ready to be immersed, to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you this morning in any way that we could. If you've already become a child of God, but along the way you've lost the way, most of us here know how that is too. And what we beg you to do, but it's really the Lord's invitation, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. We urge you to come back home. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Maybe there are other things on your mind and you simply need prayer. This morning, we want to stir you up to love God and to do good works. Truly, He's done far more for us than what we could ever deserve. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.